And, uh, you know, I really love and appreciate being able to come here. I'm getting to know many of you as friends. I was thinking as I sat back there, I remember leading for two years Clayton Valley Campus Life Club meetings every week here at this church in probably 1980 and 1981. Anyone here all the way back then? So you remember the dome? Yeah. Yeah, I was here. I was all the way here back then. And um, I so appreciate Jeremy's trust and his encouragement and um, uh, his willingness to call me even at the last minute. He just called me on Monday, said, Steve, I'm in trouble. Something fell through. Can you come and preach on Sunday? Sure, I'm not scheduled anywhere else. I'd love to come and preach. And, and I've been here many times before. I've preached on forgiveness. I've preached on life transformation. Have I given money away in a sermon yet? Did I do that? I'm serious. No? No, no there is a sermon where I give money away. Okay, so I'll do that the next time I come, maybe. I'm not going to do that today. And matter of fact, Jeremy left, so he's not even going to hear this. All this buildup for me to talk on forgiveness. I... I liken preaching in the spirit to surfing. Does Jeremy surf? I forgot. He does. Tell him he pre- he's what? On a longboard. On a longboard. Okay. I bought a surfboard this summer. I need to go with someone. Tell him I yes. want to go surfing. Okay, good. Um, but I liken preaching in the spirit, really anything done in the spirit, is a lot like surfing. Uh, uh, any of you surfers here? Just Jeremy? That's it? Okay. But you probably know that surfers don't make the waves, do they? You ride the waves. And part of the job of surfing is not just getting up on... The, you have a surfboard. We're going surfboard surfing. Yes. I just bought one last month at Costco. At Costco? $100, $100 beginner board. That's phenomenal. We're going surfing. Um, surfers, part of the job is to get up on the wave, but a big part of surfing, and I have gone a few times, is sitting for many, 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 many minutes sometimes, sometimes cold, waiting and watching. And you're looking out at the ocean and you're watching swells and you're waiting to see which swell is going to be big enough to ride. And a lot of surfing is the skill of watching. So I'm sitting back here and I'm watching this story of Lauren And I came here thinking, okay, I'm probably going to speak on forgiveness. And you've even built that all up. I saw a bigger wave. The forgiveness is a big wave, but the Lauren thing is an even bigger wave. So I got to ride that wave. Is that okay? Okay. And I don't remember Lauren's story. Who is she? I I even missed, how did she get injured? She was an aspiring, not even aspiring, she is a model. She's a a very well-known model. And they were out visiting Christian friends. And some of those friends flew as a hobby. So she was invited to go with them, and she'd never been around a plane. It was an open prop plane. She hit the prop? And she backed into the prop. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, so it was all over the news. And How long ago? Story. Um, maybe three, a year and a half ago, three years ago. Well, that's amazing. That is a miracle to yeah. see how far she's come physically in her healing and, yeah. and her attitude. And you're right, the news doesn't tell us when they're Christians. Right. Well, I want, I want, that's the wave I want to ride today. I think we need to talk more about that. And I, I sat there very moved. And it also reminded me of another story that's much closer to home that I am living out with my wife and my daughter and my son-in-law. And some of you may know this story about Spencer Gustafson. 
Spencer Gustafson is 20, almost, he'll be 29 next month, and he's my son-in-law. He's married to my oldest daughter, Nicole. They've been together for about uh, almost 10 years now. They go to Clayton Community Church. And when they were both 19, and I don't remember the date, but I'm going to say nine years almost to the day today, because it was late in the summer, I think it was mid-late August, Nicole and Spencer, along with a team from Clayton Community, went on their annual missions trip to Belize to work at a, um, an orphanage there. And while they were there, there was an afternoon of recreation scheduled. And that recreation was a bus trip out to a local river where there was a bridge going over the river, and they were going to spend the afternoon in the sun swimming and resting. Any, many of you know this story? Just a couple of you, I guess. Okay, you know the story. Um, and Spencer was just shy of 20, and, um, you know, when you're a teenager, you're invincible and you're strong and you can do anything. And he and a couple other teenage boys decided to have a race out to the middle of the bridge to see who could be in the water first. Now, this was a bridge they had gone to before, a river they had swam in before, but he forgot something. River bottoms change. Lake bottoms stay the same, but river bottoms change during the flood season. What was deep last year might be shallow this year and vice versa. Well, he forgot that principle. Secondly, he violated the rule, never dive into a body of water where you cannot see the bottom. The bridge bottom was about 10 feet off the water. He was the first one out. He run the race. He dove in and broke his neck. He didn't even get his feet in before he hit rocks. So he was cut up and bleeding. There was a... Uh, a nurse on the trip, there was a fireman on the trip, they saved his life, but he had no feelings in his waist down. And they rushed him to the Belize Capital Hospital, which was a, bed, a hospital of only 20 beds. And a guy who had never done that kind of neck surgery before saved his life, but when he was done, he had no feeling from the chest down or from his elbows down, which is still true today. So Spencer lives in a wheelchair, an electric wheelchair. He can lift his shoulders and he can move his elbows, but he can't feel or move his fingers, his wrists, or his hands or anything like that. He cannot get in and out of his wheelchair. He cannot even roll over in bed at night. I mean, he's that helpless. He would be dead in three days if people didn't help him from lack of water. He cannot go to the bathroom without help. I mean, he is completely dependent on my daughter, Nicole, who's now a registered nurse and takes care of him and has another job. Spencer has a job with Safeway, by the way, so praise the Lord for that. He has a degree in business. And um, for the last almost 10 years, I've said, we've walked with them through this very difficult, painful um, challenging journey. And he has just been magnificent in handling it, just like Lauren appears to be. You know, for some people, when bad things, I know in my life, when little things, when the giants play poorly, I complain and get upset and depressed. It doesn't take much to kind of push me over the edge. And I remember when, uh, in the first couple months, as Spencer was starting to recover from the early trauma and all the surgeries and, 
as he and Nicole were thinking about their future. I remember saying to Nicole with tears one day, sitting down with her as her dad, and she's 19 years old, and saying, Honey, you've got to make a decision that your mom and I have never, ever had to face in our life, and I can't help you. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. The decision you have to make is this. Spencer is probably never going to walk again along with all kinds of other things. And I know you guys were moving towards maybe being married and having children and having this wonderful life together. And, and if you marry him, even married, you're going to lose almost, you know, 80 to 90% of that. And you're going to have an incredible amount of work to do to take care of him. But if you leave him simply because you don't want to pay the price, you run the risk of feeling guilty the rest of your life. But if you marry him to avoid feeling guilty, you're going to pay another high price. Honey, either way, you're about to pay a real high price and I can't help you. It's as if she also, had, I mean, the injury was as much hers as his because they really did love each other. And they ended up waiting until they both graduated from college and they got married two years ago on August 20th. So they just celebrated their second anniversary and they're doing wonderful. But yeah, they have a... They have a difficult life, a very difficult, challenging life. And it's still unfolding. And, and I remember a couple months after uh, the injury, thinking, you know, we've got to brace ourselves. I was telling the whole family and telling Becky, and um, we need to brace ourselves because he's going to come to a time where he's really angry at God and or really, really depressed. It never happened. It never happened. He, before the injury, had this attitude that uh, I'm going to serve God with whatever I have. He, he's uh, probably as tall or was as tall as I am. And as big, he was a star soccer player. He was a guitar player. He had his own band. He wrote music. Um, he was ministering in the Lord in a variety of ways. He was a big, strong, capable guy. I'm going to serve God with whatever I have. You know, after the, sur after the injury, you know what he said? Nothing changed. I'm going to serve God with whatever I have. I just have less things or different things, really. And he's never gone through that bitterness. and He's never gone through that chronic depression. I keep wondering, is it going to happen in the 15th year? No, no I don't think so. And I remember sharing it with him a couple years ago, something that I want to share with you from the Bible today. And I'm not going to read it right away, but I, I want to more paint a picture first, and then I'm going to ex read it and explain what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. Because it applies to every one of you, to every one of us. We all, like card players of life, have been dealt a certain hand. You may be a man or you may be a woman. You may be tall or you may be short. You may be very intelligent or maybe not so smart. You may be educated or not educated. You may be, um, you know, all of the variety of cards. There's more than 52 cards in this deck when God deals out these cards to every human being. And you don't get one card. You get a whole bunch of cards. And you look at these cards and, and you think, man, I got a really good hand. And sometimes really good hands destroy people's lives. They're beautiful. They're popular. They're powerful. They're capable, they're self-confident, and they play all these good cards, but inwardly, they're just a mess. Matter of fact, it's why the Bible says it's hard for the rich, why Jesus said it's, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That rich card is a dangerous card. Be very careful of the, the money card. You've got a lot of money. You better start learning how to give it away as God wants you to give it away. This thing could kill you. This is not an ace. It's not a trump card. It's a dangerous card. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a large rope to go through the eye of a needle. And it's a large rope. It's not the camel thing going... I, hope, I don't know if you're preaching. I'm sorry. Okay, good. Because I know, I, I believe it's the large rope going through the eye of a needle because of how the disciples listened to it and responded. They were shocked. They were stunned. They didn't go, oh yeah, we get that. The camel takes off all his load. He can get through the, the gate. No, no, no. They were shocked. They were astounded because they believed rich people were blessed by God they were blessed by God because they were good. Therefore, all good people went to heaven. I mean, all rich people went to heaven. And Jesus flipped it upside down and said, no, 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 it's really hard for almost impossible. Really, it is impossible. That's what he said after when they said, well, who can be saved? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So that rich card can be very dangerous. And we're all dealt a lot of cards. And, and the, the, the deck is still being dealt out as we go through life, is it not? Who you marry, who you have as kids, what happens to your kids if they walk back into a propeller prop, if they're dating someone who dives into a river and breaks his neck, if you get fired, the cancer card, Alzheimer card, your parents get it. You start to get it. Kind of silent in here. And a lot of bad cards get dealt. And the problem is we look at these bad cards and go, Oh, man. I'm going to lose now. This is terrible. There's no winning. I'm not a poker player, but I do know one thing about poker. The best hand doesn't always win. It's the best player who wins in poker. Right? People who play poker aren't just playing with the cards they have in their hand. They're playing against what they know about the people they're playing. Kind of like apples and oranges. Or what is it? Is it apples and oranges, that game where you try to... Apples to apples. Yeah, where you try to guess what the other person is going to say is the best word that matches the word they draw. In poker, you can, you can bluff and you can have nothing. You can have a losing hand and bluff and win the pot. It's an amazing game. I like in life a lot like that. We get dealt all these cards. We look at them. We have a few good ones. We shuffle them around. We try to make the most of the good ones. We get some real bad ones. And then we get some really bad ones, maybe. Maybe things that have happened to us in the past or maybe they're happening to us now. We go, this is a losing card. And we start to cry and gripe and maybe wonder if God loves us and complain. And, and I, I've learned Jesus always comes up behind us as players. And it's like he's whispering in my ear saying, you know, if you play this the way I direct you to, this is still a winning hand. Now, if you play it the way the world says to play it, you're going to lose. Jesus says, if you play it the way I want you to play it, this is a winning hand. And you, we go, do you see this? There's no winning cards here anymore. Matter of fact, look at these three cards. These are disasters. These hurt. I don't want these cards. Can I turn these? No, it's not that kind of game. Okay. Uh, and Jesus just says, relax. 
play the hand the way I want you to, this is still a winning hand. Now, we as children of God have got to grab on to this reality. Amen? Otherwise, we are just blown around by the winds of circumstances. We just ride high when things are good and, uh, and, and look terrible like the world when things are bad. We're no different from the world. Do we have anything more than the world? Yes. Yes. Do we have anything more than the world? Yes. yes. Amen. We do. We have Jesus. The faithful one, the glorious one, who is our life, our joy, our hope. We just sang it. And as Jeremy said, we need, we've got all this good teaching, but we need to learn how to put it into everyday life. And the world says, if you're not dealt the money card, if you're not dealt the beauty card, or the handsome card, or the popular card, or the good job card, or the long job card, or whatever, uh, you're going to lose. Jesus says, no, no, don't worry about what cards are dealt to you. Just pay attention to me. Play it my way. This is still a winning hand. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood this principle. All the apostles did. This is written all over the Bible, especially, though, in the New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'd encourage you to go there, and if you're able to throw it up on the screen, that'd be fine too. By the way, good picture. Makes me feel like I'm at a retreat. <laughs> I think I'm going fishing after this. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Just for something you might want to look at later, all of 1 Peter is written about suffering. All of James is written about suffering. Read those two New Testament books. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you are dealt a bad card, knowing that the refining of your faith Faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you yourself may become perfect and complete, just like Jesus, lacking in nothing. Amen. Amen? Consider it all joy when you get a bad card. Don't complain about it. Don't fight over it. Don't get angry at God. Consider it all joy. 1 Peter, James, and also an awful lot of 2 Corinthians. Matter of fact, again, the people, not, the, not just the Jewish people, but the Greek people, the Roman world, and really it's true around the world. It's even in the true in the church today. Again, let's go back to what Jesus said about the rich people having a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven. We tend to think if God loves us, only good things will happen to us. And if bad things happen to us, that must mean then that what? Maybe... God doesn't love you, that you're in trouble, that God punishing you. Matter of fact, I'm so glad Lauren's dad told her, did you hear it? God isn't punishing you. Why did he say that? Because he wisely knew, or at least was led by the Spirit, that the average person, when bad thing happens, thinks, well, I must have done something wrong. God's punishing me. You know what? God has punished every human being for every sin once and for all. He's already done it and he did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. The sins of every human being, not just the believers, not just the repentant, not just the faithful. It says that the, we teach this, it's in our creeds as Christians, that the sins of who? 
the whole world, for God so loved the who? The world that He gave His only begotten Son, that the sins of the whole world were laid on the body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who volunteered for this mission. And then God the Father treated Jesus as if He were guilty of all those sins and punished Jesus for every one of them. Now, if Jesus has already died and been punished for your sins, how many of your sins is God going to punish you for? Zero. All this talk about God punishing people, that's a lie out of the pit of hell. It doesn't exist. Punishment has been completed once. I love the writer of Hebrews. He says the phrase once for all four or five times. Once for who? All. Jesus died once for all. He's never to die again because his death is so perfect, so complete, so efficacious, so universal, so all-encompassing. He never has to do it again. He did one perfect work at the cross and the penalty for everybody's sin is forgiven. The consequences of people's sins only get forgiven when they repent. That's why not everyone is saved. Everyone is forgiven of the penalty, but not everyone is forgiven of consequences. And the consequences of sin are just as lethal and just as deadly and just as destructive as the penalty of sin is. And so that's what I hope I do get to come back and talk about the two sides of sin, penalty and consequences, and the two sides of forgiveness. We call one side personal and the other side relational and how God forgives penalty because of the cross. He forgives consequences when people repent. I have 60 Christian books on how to forgive and not one of them teach that simple principle. You'll be experts in it. I'd like you to be experts in it, not just in your head, but in your practice, in your life, because it's how God heals the human soul and restores broken relationships. But people tend to think, if bad things are happening to me, God's punishing to me. Would you please, every time you think that, shut it down quickly and say out loud, no, God is not punishing me. He already punished Jesus for all my sins once and for all. I am forgiven of the penalty, even of the sins I don't know and haven't even committed yet. I need to confess them and repent of them so God can save me and forgive me of the consequences. But of the penalty, God is not punishing me. But the people of Paul's day saw Paul's suffering. They saw the difficulty of his ministry, that he was shipwrecked, he spent a night in the deep, that he experienced lashings and imprisonment. He was stoned once, almost to death. He says in 2 Corinthians, he, he went about without enough money, homeless, he... He worked. He was bivocational. He had to be a tent maker so he had enough money so he could do the work of the gospel, of being a missionary. He was, he was rejected. He was laughed at. Apparently, he had some kind of physical uh, handicap. We don't know. It might have been his eyes. It might have been his ability to write. He had people write. His, he dictated his letters, apparently. He had... He had I even wonder, I don't want to go too far with this, if he wasn't divorced. Because I'm told that every Pharisee had to be married. 
That's an interesting thought, to think of him going through the pain and tragedy of divorce. Not that Paul would divorce his wife, but Paul was such a religious Jew, and from a, an outstanding family, the woman he would have been married to, because families arranged the marriage, he would have been married to an outstanding Jewish woman from an outstanding Jewish family. And maybe Paul became a Christian, and she did not. Maybe he even knows the heartbreak of divorce, of being rejected by your wife or your husband. Bad card. And so the people that Paul ministered to around the Mediterranean, the northern Mediterranean, they not only heard his message, but they watched his life. And because they had this idea that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, they would hear this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then they'd look at Paul's life and say, wow, well, his message must not really be true. He must not really be a real apostle because look at all the trials and tribulations and hardships he goes through. And if you read from the beginning of 2 Corinthians, that's what he's defending. He's saying, yes, I am going through sufferings and trials and tribulations. And then he says this, just like Jesus who also went through trials and sufferings and tribulations, even to crucifixion. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our distress, in all our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We are suffering so that we can comfort others. And then he goes on with this deeper principle here in chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading with verse 5. 2 Corinthians verse four, or chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Now, darkness is a picture of a bad card. Darkness almost, almost universally, except for one exception, almost universally is a bad thing in the Bible. Light shall shine out of, light will have victory. Jesus didn't come and say, I am the darkness of the world. He said, I am the what? The light of the world. And the darkness did not understand it or master it or comprehend it. The God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, what's an earthen vessel? It's a clay pot. You have clay pots around your patio? I do. I got a big cracked one right now. The plant that's growing in it has split the slide of the clay pot. Clay pots are easy to make, cheap to make, and very fragile and not very expensive. They're replaceable. Paul's using that picture here of a, a clay pot. We are earthen vessels. We have this incredible treasure of the glory of God in Christ Jesus, but it's in a fragile Broken, breaking vessel. Why? And then he says, why? So that 
the surpassing greatness of the power in our lives, exhibited in our lives, will be from God and not from ourselves. You see, if the cards that you're dealt are good enough that you can play the hand without Jesus, then you don't need Jesus. And nobody's going to see Jesus in you. If you're handsome and strong and rich and beautiful and come from a good family and nothing bad happens to you and everything's going well and you're never sick, then people aren't going to really see Jesus in you. Gosh, anyone can live a nice life and be joyful, sing songs when you've got those that hand dealt to you. But man, if that pot cracks, if it's a fragile earthen pot, if you've been dealt bad cards, then the surpassing greatness of the power people are going to realize has to be from God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And here, in, and he repeats it in verses 10 and 11. He's going to repeat the same important principle that I want you to really grab onto twice. He's going to say it twice, so listen. Always carrying about in the body, the physical body, the dying of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body. For we who live here and now in this broken world, in these earthen vessels are constantly being delivered over to what? To death. For Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. God wants this to be happening in your life. I live by what's up here on this pulpit. I want to see Jesus and I want other people to see Jesus through me. And the only way they're going to see Jesus through me is if I'm dealt bad cards. If I lose my hand in my eye. If I marry someone who's in a wheelchair. If I don't have enough money to pay my bills. If I snap my Achilles tendon and on the surgery table then finish tearing my rotator cuff and have to have another... Only when the bad cards are dealt will people see Jesus. We are constantly... God isn't doing it to us. Don't get me wrong. This is just the consequences of living in a sin-damaged, sin-polluted, broken world. We're just going to suffer. We're growing old. Anyone growing old? Are you losing things as you grow older? Your sight, your hearing, your strength, your flexibility? Yeah. That's a bad card earthen vessels. But if we will focus on Jesus and have this intent, I want to find out what Jesus looks like living through me with these problems. We're on the right track. And that's what I said to Spencer a few years ago. He kept praying that God would glorify himself by healing him so he could walk again. I keep saying to him, Spencer, you will walk again. I guarantee it when Jesus gives you a new body. And we'll all be young again and we won't need glasses and everything will be fine. We'll all be healthy. We'll have new whole bodies. 
And God might heal you, Spencer, before that time. However, you're underestimating how God glorifies himself. It perhaps may be what God wants to do is he wants to reveal himself. He wants people to see what Jesus looks like living in a wheelchair. What does Jesus look like in a wheelchair? And I said to him, I can't show the world what Jesus looks like living in a wheelchair. Because I don't live in a wheelchair. But you do, Spencer. And because you do, and because Jesus lives inside of you, if you will play the hand the way he wants you to, and you are, because you have such a good attitude, Spencer, you are demonstrating and showing the world what Jesus looks like in a wheelchair. Ladies, what does Jesus look like as a woman? I can't show them what Jesus looks like as a woman. I'm not a woman. You are. You can show the world what Jesus looks like as a woman. What does Jesus look like as an 85-year-old? I don't know. Maybe I'll be able to show them that someday, but I can't now. I'm only 55. I can show them what Jesus looks like as a 55-year-old, but I can't show them what Jesus looks like as an 85-year-old. I can't show them what Jesus looks like as a divorced person. I've been married 33 years, never divorced. What does Jesus look like as a divorced person who's had an unfaithful spouse or who has been unfaithful and repented? What does Jesus look like? Every one of you have a unique hand, a set of cards that no one else in the world has. And I need to see what Jesus looks like living your life, playing your hand, because I don't have it. I would love to see Jesus in your situation. The good and the bad and the ugly, because it's the bad and the ugly where I'm really going to get to see Jesus. So rather than reject it all, rather than throw it away, rather than complain, rather than take those bad cards and curse them and put them in your back pocket, you need to start to realize this is an opportunity for Jesus to magnify himself and glorify himself and for the world to see Jesus through this card, through this disability, through this affliction, through this trouble, through this trial. I... And you know who the first person is who gets to see Jesus? You! You don't know what Jesus looks like with this problem until you surrender your life to him. I surrender the good cards to Jesus. Oh, I don't think we just sang that, did we? I surrender what? All. The whole hand. The good and the bad so that I can see Jesus and then other people can see Jesus through me. For I am constantly being delivered over to death so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in my mortal body through my life story. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I, I need to hear this message. Even though I've preached it many times, Lord, I'm not yet fully living it. It is too easy for me to believe the lies of the world that the bad cards are bad and there's nothing good that can come of them. Lord, 
Seal this truth in each of our hearts. Give us a new vision, a new hope. Help us to look to you in all our times, the good and the bad, in all of our circumstances, and to realize that the best opportunity to experience you and the best opportunity to display you is in the worst of times. Let us embrace that and let you glorify yourself in our surrendered lives in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.